Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We had some lower numbers. Um, we look at this grain complex today. It actually was lower on the livestock side as well. But having said that, how much outside market pressure are we going to continue to see on this trade? We're going to take a look at the uh, fact that we've been holding on to some levels, but they're still talking about the reports of last week. And then weather, whether it is snow or or tornadoes and severe weather and rain. A lot of factors being weighed in on this trade for Tuesday. Well, we're going to get all the details of what's happening with Sam Hudson. Sam is with Corn Belt Marketing. So first off, the report of Friday, here we are on a Tuesday. Still a little bit of a discussion going on as to what we're seeing in those numbers. Yeah, plenty of it, you know, and I think it uh, it comes at a time where we're already seeing, uh, you know, a bit of a narrative unfold with the Northwest Corn Belt. Uh, plenty of snow in that region, plenty of time on the clock. You got it, you know, between six and eight weeks to, to get their crops in. So they have time, uh, but these next two or three are pretty well going to be, you know, wasted, uh, you know, from a time standpoint. But in the meantime, you got the rest of the Corn Belt. It looks like it's in pretty good shape uh, and could start uh, with planting deep potentially as early as this week, but I think you'll see a lot more wheels turning next week. Um, and that'll finally give us some week-to-week progress to at least uh, you know, keep tabs on things and, and you know, derive how much uh, acreage we have to take off some of these total numbers that USDA has put out there. And whether you're talking prevent plant or, or dry weather, there's going to be, I think, a more talk of weather-related market going on in this trade, at least in the near future. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, when I say weather-led, I, I think it's really supply-led. You know, we've seen a pretty good run in exports here of late. Uh, now with the market coming back, so especially in the old crop corn and in the bean market as well, uh, you could start to slow that down a little bit and get more of a hand-to-mouth feel. Uh, you know, these Brazilian ports are going to be doing plenty of business. Uh, harvest is still well at hand down there. Um, and, and like I said, we still got time on the clock here. So I don't know that we got to go straight up or straight down in this market right away. Uh, I would favor the next 10, 10 days to two weeks. We actually see, uh, you know, quite of a, a copy affair and if we continue to see a bit of concern as we go into uh, late april then it's possible we could get the summer corn contract back to, to retest the six dollar mark you know sam i love when we start the the weekly nas reports because i know the first first couple of weeks don't have a lot of details in it but it still starts to give you that insight that spring is here planting is underway no surprise that texas was at over 50 percent uh, of the corn planting as of date but at what point will you guys start to say okay let's really look at these numbers and see where we're at well, that's that's true. I mean, spring's kind of in the air, I guess, with the you know the evolution of these week-to-week uh, you know data points. Finally, uh, we got an initial wheat rating that uh, you know is one of the lowest on record coming out of here. But for corn, um, and as you mentioned, uh, quite a lot of being planted down in Texas. But as a national, uh, for a national number, you're still only looking at uh, you know less than three. In fact, I think we're at two percent planted here as a nation. So you really need two or three weeks, probably here under our belt, before we really see any considerable field work done. Um, and you know, there again, at that point in time, we can kind of take another reference point and, and you know determine if uh, we have to you know, take a considerable amount off that 92 million acres i think it's a really good chance that that's the highest corn acreage number we see all year uh, it's just a matter how much that could come down and, and then of course we will you know play the yield game like we do every year <laughs> that we do do you have any concerns though about the these ratings that came up for the winter wheat uh, well, I, obviously, if you're growing it, you, you have to. I mean, I think we were 1% from, you know, record low initial rating from back in, like, 1996. Uh, it's just not a good look. But 
the question is, does it really matter for world pricing? And it really hasn't here of late. Uh, you know, we went through a year of this conflict in Ukraine and continue to see record exports out of that region. So the U.S. remains the bottom of the barrel. Uh, you know, when you look at the, you know, carry and general carry out, we're, we're going to be the last point of supply there. And so I think what it really needs to reflect in is going to be the cash spreads and the basis out west for, for these areas where the sweet's being grown. But uh, the market's been telling us something here, and that is that we've got another harvest coming and, and we're going to have to make space for it. Uh, and it's a product that we're really not tight on at this point when you look at stocks to usage, especially when you compare it to that of corn and beans. So export market wire has been kind of on the quieter side, especially after we saw the craziness of the last week and a half. What are your thoughts on the on the wire? We, should we expect, you know, kind of a slow selling time right now? Or, or could we see a possible, you know, China back in the marketplace? I would favor more of a steady look. I don't think you're going to continue to see these daily flash sales, at least in, in size that we've been seeing on a consistent basis. I think, like I said, it, probably a lot more hand-to-mouth sort of needs um, as we determine what our weather is going to do from an impact uh, you know, standpoint here over the next couple months. I think it was uh, you know, pretty good to see them step up you know, at a time where we saw a break in the market, though. And, and to me, that's just the typical you know, seasonal action. You know, if you're a world buyer and you know you're going to need it for the next two or three months and you see a considerable break before that big you know, risky weather season, it's a good time to get some inventory is locked up, uh, but I don't know if they have to chase the market because if we get in, uh, you know, in good standing and in good fashion, then we can still have a pretty adequate carry out this year and uh, get some cheaper prices at, at harvest. I think domestically here, though, the story is still going to be out west. Uh, you know, the ethanol uh, and the feed factor, and what do we see for for rains? Uh, you know, for first and second cutting, uh, you know, out west, and what that's going to mean for the feed market in general. Now that we'll talk more in depth on that coming up in the second half. What are you hearing about uh, Brazil's second crop at this point? Uh, jury's still out. You know, we've got a little bit of time on the clock there too. Um, you know, there was a bit of concern, uh, you know, with those short-term forecasts, you know, turning a little bit drier down there, a little bit hotter. Uh, but when you look in their condition ratings and, and uh, you know, the private estimates, it, it looks like it's still going to be a pretty big crop. And that's another reason that filters into, uh, you know, maybe not expecting this demand surge for the U.S. to continue uh, because they're going to have, you know, some port space available. I think the only issue is how much can they ship, you know, a short amount of time between corn and beans both uh, with the world basically relying on Brazil uh, after the crop failure in Argentina and a tight carry out here in the U.S. All right. We're looking at a lot of factors that are can continue to build in. Uh, Basis-wise, do we expect any surprises headed into more earnest? Well, that's part of the reason for the, you know, the concern about the exports, you know, continuing at the pace at which we've seen anyways. You know, the market, uh, the futures market has done a lot of the heavy lifting. Now, we saw a bit of a pullback today. Uh, we'll see if that sticks or if this market can, you know, turn back higher again, you know, before the end of the week here. Um, but the cash market was not having to chase chase things here. You know, we saw a good balance. It's right ahead of spring. Uh, truckers, or excuse me, farmers still have a bit of trucking capacity before they really get busy in the field. Uh, and if we see anything tighten up, it could be over the next, you know, 30 days as that that uh, work starts to pick up, uh, especially if markets are, uh, you know, chopping around here and, and not providing a lot of direction. All right. Well, stick around, folks. We're going to talk more about that feed stuff that you just heard Sam talking about when we get ready for the second half. It's just around the corner. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Hey, Tom, I see a Fontenelle sign there on your North 80. That corn looks pretty good. Well, yeah, my neighbors had good luck with Fontenelle, so I decided to give it a try. They've been around for quite a while? Well, sure have. In the last three seasons, Fontenelle's 15 top-yielding corn products had over a nine-bushel advantage over Pioneer's commercially available leading volume corn products. Wow, that's impressive. I'm thinking I might add some Fontenelle to my farm. Well, just contact your local dealer or go to Fontenelle.com if you want more information. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. 
Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're continuing our conversation this afternoon with Sam Hudson. Of course, Sam is with Corn Belt Marketing. And we were talking a lot about the factors that were affecting this grain trade. And, and you kind of brought up the feedstuff uh, concerns, whether it's uh, uh, pasture and, and hay for, for forage. But you know these livestock guys are closely watching what's going to happen with these crop numbers as well at this point. Yeah, you know, and, and it's kind of the mentality, you know, when we realize there's a big shortage out there once that, you know, had become realized, you know, you go out there and try to get most of the needs bought on the front end, you know, put it in the bunk, do whatever you got to do, put it in the bin and, and at least take care of the lion's share. But now we got to figure out if the lion's share is going to be enough or not, um, you know, for the rest you go. And again, this is going to be very regionally specific uh, to what grass is available and, and how that's moving. But uh, if you see another you know, localized area where, where we start the year off dry here, uh, particularly for corn. I, I think you're immediately going to see uh, basis levels react to that. Uh, we've consistently seen about a 50 to 60 cent premium, you know, corn in the West versus the East here, uh, you know, trading around the 650 to 660 level compared to, you know, $7 plus cash again here recently. So um, it's just it's going to be unrelenting here until we see some sort of relief or at least some definitive proof that, uh, you know, we've got the, the area in the ground and what that's going to mean for us. And keep in mind too, we can see you know, some wonky numbers on, on some of these reports and government data, if we get into that prevent plant situation, depending on you know what insurance guarantees look like and what it means for revenue at the end of the day. All right. There's some cautiousness that's being talked about, though, too, from a livestock perspective. What are you hearing um, on this cattle market? And is there some nervousness going on right now? Yeah, I think the nervousness really stems from, you know, we look at the, the price of the animals coming into the into the lot now, uh, combined with these, this uncertainty still on feed costs. And I think that's what's helped drive to some of these back-month cattle contracts. Um, you know, I still think it's it's the easier stance to have that things should be, you know, kind of have a bullish tilt to them when you look at the herd liquidation that we've seen and the, the inability to really... You know, reproduce at a, at a quick rate here. I think, uh, you know, these feed costs uh, are going to filter into the, all of that, to, you know, the rate at which we can do that, how much grass is available to do that, uh, and what that's going to look like going into next winter all over again. So I think right now that's probably the biggest reluctance on top of the, you know, just the uncertainty we have kind of in these outside markets from a day-to-day standpoint and what it's going to mean, you know, for the economy both in the next, uh, you know, three to six months and six to 12. So we're seeing asking prices at about 170. Mm-hmm. Is there the potential mm-hmm. to hit that this week or go above that? Uh, well, if not this week, soon enough anyways, right? I mean, it just seems like a slow and steady, strong and steady type of market. Uh, and we've seen it prove itself time and time again. So I think you know, the key is on considerable breaks here, especially when you start to look at that June, the August, and the spread between the two. Um, you want to see you know, that June really start to kind of raise its hand here, just like the April did, uh, as we get closer and closer to that expiration time frame. And I have no reason to believe that that won't happen at this point. Uh, once again, I think it's just more about the day-to-day and week-to-week uh, you know, macro events that are kind of affecting the money flow uh, and week-to-week pricing. But the cash market's been a lot lot steadier, and I think we'll continue to see that as we get to the grilling season. And Sam, from a feeder perspective, I tell you, I've seen a lot of posts lately on social media of, of sale barn uh, sales for these four to 600-pound calves. And I just look at it, and I don't know about if I'm missing something, it's hard for me to pencil this out. What are you guys seeing in this chatter when folks are looking at the feeder cattle prices and then they're seeing what's happening at the sale barns? Well, and we started this conversation out with you know some reluctance here and there, and I think that's 
that's the concern is, you know, when you look at that, um, you know, and, and start to pencil it out and, and still have that moving target on what you're going to have from an input cost on that feed side um, and trying to figure out how much you want to bite off uh, to chew, I think is probably the biggest thing. I think there's always a general gravitational pull towards, hey, we got to keep doing this, but, uh, you know, at what rate and at what pace and, and how much risk we want to carry doing that. Uh, and, you know, the LRP, LRP uh, you know, insurance contracts are also, you know, tying into a lot of this in terms of people at least starting to consider more about risk management side here for when we do finally make a turn and, you know, you get that uh, type of lagging market that's it's really hard to lock a margin in. And talk lagging markets, we're definitely seeing that in the hogs lately. Ugh, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, another, another, another you know, the talking point for spread, and we've just seen a complete you know, faltering there of the April, uh, June again, um, you know, as it gets ready to go off the board here, we'll see if we can, you know, get a bounce or, a, you know, catch a breath in that. When you look at exports, pretty steady steady there, but really not enough to, to drive the market. And unlike the cattle, it's just a lot easier, uh, you know, to, to find supply in a market like this when the reproductive cycle is so much shorter. From a consumer perspective, though, especially with everything that's been going on in the, in the world of banking and interest rate talks, they're stay, still staying pretty firm at that meat counter and purchasing that beef. And they haven't kind of switched over to other proteins. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I've been going every week, I don't know who else has them, but I guess, uh, you know, thanks to the, to the consumer, at least for now, um, I think that helps uh, provide a solid footing for a lot of these. But, you know, again, the week-to-week and month-to-month pricing, you're still going to have a bit of that disconnect. And obviously, uh, you know, it's not enough to really, you know, push prices a lot higher. We need to see the... Uh, lean hog index and those pork index in general values start to show a lot more confidence before we can get the, the momentum going in the futures contracts. All right. Lots of great stuff today, Sam. Best way for folks to get a hold of you. 800-655-3380 or www.cornbeltmarketing.com. All right. Thanks so much. Sam Hudson's been joining us today, as we always remind you. Commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. That is the Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you today by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers. Check us out as a podcast at ruralradionetwork.com or wherever you subscribe. It's a free podcast, by the way. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell right here on the Rural Radio Network.